Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, brash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Bow, wow, wow, yippee-yo, yippee-yay. Here it is. Welcome to the Chad and Cheese Podcast. This is Joel Cheeseman, your co-host. And this is Chad Zellwash. Welcome. Welcome. On today's show, man, we have uh, the long line of people smarter than us gets longer and longer. We have co-founder and CEO of HackerRank, Vivek Ravisankar. I probably said that incorrectly. Uh, with us today. Vivek, how you doing, man? I'm good. How's it going? How, how badly did I butcher your last name? Yeah, I think you should have probably said Vivek R. I think that might have been better. <laughs> Vivek R. How about Vivek Ravi? Like yeah. Rav? Rav? Oh, well. Anyway, Vivek from now on. Um, for those who don't know, and the list is probably small, but for those who don't know, give us just a brief intro uh, of you and a maybe slightly longer uh, rendition of what Hacker Rank does. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm Vivek uh, Ravi Sankar, uh, like how, uh, how you guys say. Uh, I was super the, close. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we should play that back. Asshole. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the founders and CEO of HackerRank. Um, I, um, I was a developer prior to this at Amazon. Um, I used to do a lot of technical interviews, which is where I found um, there was a lot of inefficiencies in the way that we do our recruiting process, started a company. Uh, this is our uh, seventh year, maybe sixth year after we went live, seventh year totally um, since we launched HackerRank. Um, we have about uh, 1,500 customers using the product, assessed over 6 million developers, uh, 250 people, um, London, Bangalore, Mountain View, and uh, growing quickly. And here I am in the podcast, which hopefully you guys have promised that it will increase our revenue. So I will be tracking that. Yeah, and for listeners out there, uh, Vivek has a team of about thirty PR people uh, supporting his <laughs> podcast interview, and he actually has a scouting report on the Chad and Cheese podcast, which basically says these guys are assholes. Watch your back, basically. Be careful. Yeah, just a correction. I just hired one person today, so it's thirty-one. <laughs> so it's thirty-one. <laughs> nice. Nice, my friend. Touche. Has he? As he sips his tea and somebody actually dabs his lip. So let's jump right into it. Hacker Rank. We've talked about it on the podcast for a while now. And I think it's amazingly smart for all companies who touch the, the technical side of the house. You have 1,500 companies global. Is that global? What percentage of that? is here domestic in the US? Yeah, 1500 is global. I would say about 70, uh, 70-ish percent is in North America. The remaining is in EMEA and uh, Asia Pacific. Okay, okay. So now the 6 million developers, which is a shit ton of people, uh, can you give us give us kind of the same breakdown of the 6 million, how much from here domestically versus India, etc. Yeah, so uh, that one is a slightly different, different combination. Uh, mm-hmm. It's about... 40, 40 to 45% is in India, about 30% is in North America, and the remaining is in EMEA. Uh, why you would have guessed the population of these countries are higher and the population of developers in India is definitely more than US. Oh, yeah. 
curious about your take because you have a really unique view on the world uh, from where you sit. What is the what's the economy like um, in terms of technical talent? Where's the growth? Where where there, where is there a huge need? Just sort of give us your state of the union in regards to uh, tech talent around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I think there are two big shifts that are happening in the that's happening in the market. Uh, one is uh, every company is becoming a software company. Uh, you know, it's no longer a retail store. The first thing that you're going to look to look to figure out if you're going to buy or not is download the app and see if the product is available on that store versus going. So it's no longer retail, it's tech. Uh, it's no longer financial services or banks. Uh, like I've had people switch banks because their app was buggy. I mean, like you would never have this reason 10 years back. So it's no longer financial services. It's also tech. Uh, all your cars um, are People ask about like, hey, when is autopilot going to come, uh, or does this have uh, Apple Play? You know that those things become like important criteria now, which was not there ten years back. So it's no longer automobile; it's also tech. So that's like a giant change that's actually happening in the world. Um, and by the way, like only three percent of companies are classified according to the uh, sort of the uh, SIC codes as tech companies. The remaining 97% are in all these different industries that I mentioned, but like pretty much everything is a tech company. So that's like a gigantic shift in terms of like the number of companies who are looking to hire developers and like come and, uh, and transform themselves. That's on the demand. Then if you look at supply, which is the developers themselves, it's just getting easier for you to learn how to code and build things. Um, one is like sort of internet is ubiquitous like you could just like get on a get a mac and connect to the wi-fi and and that's it like you could now go ahead and start to learn how to code uh there are a lot many boot camps that have actually come up uh in the last few years which teach you how to code um and people are starting to realize that developer a job as a developer is more lucrative so more and more people are studying computer science uh in your college and what this has led to is over 70 percent of the developers who are or who call themselves developers right now, are self-taught, uh, which means their resumes are not going to look really pretty. You know, it's not going to look, oh, I went to this particular school, Ivy League school, and I got four GPA. It's just going to say, hey, I did a bunch of these projects and I learned on, on, on my own. So the, these two are giant shifts. If you just think about it from a supply and demand perspective, supply being the developers and demand being the companies, there's just a huge number of companies looking to hire developers. And the configuration or the composition of the supplier the developers have also completely changed to being self-taught and uh, learn on your own so how do you match the two and that's kind of what we do so that being said what are the different ways you actually work with companies with hacker rank i would assume testing is there training what what what's kind of like the portfolio that companies are getting into to try to help uh pretty much fill that skill gap yeah that's a good question i think the way we have fundamentally changed and we we operate um, a lot in the recruiting space and there's definitely an opportunity for us to operate in branding employment branding and attracting talent and as well as once an employee joins the company how do you upskill uh, upskill this person to continue to learn more and more skills so there's definitely opportunity for us to expand across the board but right now our our major focus is just uh, on recruiting and the fundamental shift that we've been able to make is uh, people used to look at resumes as your first level of screen. So that, that used to be the first step by default. Okay, you apply to a job. I'm going to look at a resume. I'm going to do some keywords. And if those keywords match with the job description, and if I know the school and you have good GPA, I'm going to pass, uh, I'm going to pass it on to the hiring manager to conduct further rounds of interviews. So that, and then like the hiring manager has his or her own biases. And it's just like a long, elongated process. 
we just cut off the entire idea of resume screening right at the start. So a majority of our customers don't even look at resumes. They actually create a coding challenge or a real world challenge that is relevant to the role that you're looking to hire for. So if you're a full stack engineer, I'm going to create a full stack engineer code challenge. If you're hiring a data scientist, I'm going to hire, I'm going to create a data science coding challenge and so on. And now as a developer, my first step is for me to showcase my skills. How good am I in each of these different roles? And then you get a scorecard. Hey, these are the skills that you're looking for. These are the candidate mm-hmm. strengths. And this, these are the areas that this person needs to get better. Or like you can continue to interview or probe more into the process. And that eliminates so much bias. Uh, and that actually sort of expands your talent pool much beyond what you were, what you originally thought were, was like super constrained view of the world. Um, so that's like a big, big shift, uh, which is kind of like the reason why we are growing and companies are adopting us uh, pretty fast. Okay, so identification is really your big key right now is being able to identify individuals who actually meet the skill sets companies need to be able to code in their organization. The hardest part, I think, right now is that it's almost like many companies are, you know, robbing uh, from Peter to pay Paul just because there's not enough talent there in the first place. How how much how much time is it going to take for you guys to get into the upskilling or the, the teaching of coding? Yeah. Um, so there are two parts here. One is, uh, one is, is there a talent shortage? Um, and the second one is like, what do we need to do to upskill people once you join the company and how do you get better at it? Yeah. Um, well, how, I, wh- what's your runway in to be able to get there is really my question. I actually don't think there's talent shortage. And I know it's like a controversial opinion about this. And I think, uh, I, I, I think talent shortage is a myth. Um, so we actually, we, we did a, a recent blog post which got covered by a bunch of publications like CNBC and others. We, uh-huh. we assessed, uh, so we had over a million students attempt our assessments and challenges over the last year across different colleges across the globe. So we assessed all of these um, different students across what across different dimensions. What skills do they have? What are they good at? Which schools are good and what kind of skills? And you'd be surprised. And one of the most interesting stats that we found when we were doing this research is the Ivy League schools and the top 10 schools done by US News or some some publication, if you put those two together, only 9% of CS students graduate from that list. And only and if you sort the schools based on skills, okay, this is not mm-hmm. sorted based on Ivy League or like your whatever, how many patterns you submitted, but like just on raw industry skills that you need, which is kind of like what we assess. There was exactly one Ivy League school that was in our top five. But it's unfortunate that every company or like most companies are just focusing on these 9% or these 10% of the student population and just completely missing out on the 90%. And by definition, Ivy League schools are whatever top X, top five. And even if you even if you assume, oh, the fact your numbers are super aggressive, like, you know, okay, fine. Let's say it's not 9%. Let's say it's 20%, like double it uh, or slightly more, more than double you're still missing out on 80% of talent, talented people. And this is just in the university section. Now, if you start to expand this across the horizon, across professionals and others, so by definition, you're missing out on all these great talented people because the fundamental unit of how you approach recruiting is based on resumes and profiles. So I actually think the talent shortage is a myth. And the more you're willing to open up 
your aperture to identifying candidates beyond the top 10, top 20, and the companies that you look at, the more success that you're going to have. And that's what we're enabling. It's commercial time. Tauru is focused on predicting, optimizing, and delivering talent directly to your email or ATS. So it's totally data-driven talent attraction, which means the Tauru platform enables recruiters to reach the right talent at the right time and at the right price. Guess what the best part is? <laughs> let me uh, let me take a shot here. You only pay for the candidates Talru delivers. Holy shit. Okay, so you've heard this before. So if you're out there listening in podcast land and you are attracting the wrong candidates, and we know you are, mm-hmm. or you feel like you're in a recruiting hamster wheel and there's just nowhere to go, right? You can go to talru.com slash attract. Again, that's talru.com slash attract and learn how Talru can get you better candidates for less cash. Or just go to chadcheese.com and click on the Talru logo. I'm all about the simple. You are a simple man. It's showtime. So you guys you guys put out a blog post fairly recently about uh, the best colleges for tech talent. Tell us about some of the other alternatives to Ivy League schools. And I also think it sounds like you have a fairly strong opinion in regards to uh, how important a degree is anyway. Like it's more about things you've done, your portfolio. Um, talk about that sort of the the crossover between the college education, where to get a degree versus do you really need one? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I, I think there are two parts to it. One is, um, do you need a degree for, um, for you to get a job? And second is, does college education actually correlate to academic, uh, to industry, to success in professional? Um, I think the rate at which um, the, the rate at which like technology improvements are happening is such a rapid pace that I feel like university, the, the curriculum, the, the things that you actually teach is still 10 years behind. Um, there's like a new JavaScript framework that gets launched, I don't know, every six months or every year. There's a new language that people just start to work on. Now, now Go is the most uh, hot language and everybody's trying to rewrite their backend services on Go. And I don't think universities are teaching Go. They're still stuck in like trying to teach people how to do C, C++, which is good, but like, you know, you're not, you've not progressed further. So, so there's like one big um, dissonance between what you get taught in schools versus what the industry or the companies are looking for. Um, and which sort of makes by definition, the college degree not super valuable, except for the brand and pedigree that the university has been able to accumulate over the last few years, um, or like decades, not few years. Um, and the second part of, about it is, um, if you think about it, like if you want to hire, if you want to hire a writer, if you want to, um, if you want to hire a musician, and like if you want, if you take any other profession, or if you want to hire somebody for your restaurant. Um, you don't look at a resume. You don't say like, okay, you 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 are a good cook. I mean, like, what else would you say on a resume if you were to like get hired in a restaurant? But like, the first thing that he says is like, show me if you're a good cook or not, um, or for any other profession. If you want to hire somebody for content or PR or or or, or as writing, I'm going to say, hey, show me your writing samples. But unfortunately, uh, and it's, it's, this is the biggest irony for developers, which you would assume that it's the most technical of professions across um, across any other uh, fields. It's still stuck on resume. So, um, so you have to be able to showcase your skills, which is far, far more valuable than saying, hey, I have a four-year college degree. If I had to guess right, um, I think, I, well, firstly, firstly, the importance of college degree starting to go 
down every year. Uh, I don't know if you saw the news, uh, maybe six months back or nine months back, Apple and Google have dropped all college requirements on their website, on their career space. So you don't, you don't, you no longer need to have a college degree. So, and, and by the way, that will just trigger the rest of the company or the rest of the industry to follow as well. So the, the requirement of college degree starting to drop year over year, uh, coupled with the fact that you can learn what industry wants online versus going to school. So I think like, you know, in the next 15 to 20 years, um, I, I think like there'll be, there'll be a, a very small percentage who will actually want to study computer science in college. Uh, and I mean like less than 20% of what, what is happening right now. What it sounds like, and, and we know with the gig economy, uh, that uh, hacker rank knows the skills of the individuals who are who are obviously members or or, or users of, of hacker rank. Do you see hacker rank becoming a marketplace for individuals with these types of skill sets so that instead of somebody hiring an FTE, they're just going in, it's all project-based and you're actually going and hitting up uh, a portfolio or a tribe of individuals to be able to tackle this project. Yeah, it's a good question. I think I think it's, uh, it is going to be progressive for us. I think the, f- the first step would be for us to sort of like have a, de- create like a developer resume and that resume is based on skills. Um, so, we will we will we will know hey if you have to get a job as a front-end engineer at airbnb um here are the skills that actually matter to them because you know we know what skills they're recruiting for and if you have those skills we will actually uh, recommend you to the right job at airbnb so that's that's sort of like the first level of progression where we can completely transform uh, a, a marketplace for fte so to speak to uh, to recommend developers from our developer community to match to these companies the second step would be okay. So now I want to spin up a team, and uh, this is like a this is like a common challenge. If you go to a large company um, and they want to work on a new project, and say, hey, I need to spin up a team. It has eight people: two front end, two back end, one engineering manager, one principal engineer, and a couple of DevOps people, and one machine learning. So it's like a typical composition. If I have to spin up a team, and if I have to yeah. start from scratch right now. Okay, I have the idea. I have to spin up a team. It's going to take you six months to build all of, uh, to get all these people together, and then they should work really well together. And by the time you actually launch the project, um, it's going to take you eighteen months. So if you have a really great idea right now, from the inception of that idea to building a team to making sure that they work together well, and you'll have some attrition or you'll have to make some changes to actually getting the product live. You think like 18 months, that's a really long time. So how can you compress that? One is, of course, you can make your hiring process efficient and effective, which is kind of like what we're doing. The other way is if we have these, uh, the sort of like aggregation of skills of developers, millions of developers across the globe, and we can say, hey, by the way, there are like a bunch of people who are looking for part-time or like can, can build you the prototype and then they want to move on to other projects. You can spin up a team. Okay, you have the idea today. You can spin up a team of eight people by next Tuesday and get started. That's massive improvement in the, in the way that you can think about um, how it's going to impact your top line and uh, just the economics. Uh, that is the next level. But for in order for us to do all of these things, there's a foundation of skill infrastructure that needs to be laid out, which companies need to buy into, which developers need to buy into, and we're starting with recruiting in that. Gotcha. So what types of partnerships are you guys pulling together with universities? Are you doing anything to be able to test their students uh, to see if they're actually at the level that uh, some of your your companies are ready for just to be able to ensure, again, they have the skills necessary to get back 
or to get into the actual market and uh, and make a dent into some of these uh, some of these companies. We have a we have like a, we have a developer uh, portal or developer community where um, you can go ahead and sign up and practice these challenges. Um, get on get on the leaderboards, uh, and these challenges are uh, mimic what typically what like um, uh, companies look for in their interviews, what companies look for in, in different skills. So it's like a free for all. Specifically, we've not we, we don't have like super strong partnerships uh, with like certain number of universities, but. Uh, what we've seen is like once a few students in a school start to use the product, like it just press like wildfire and everybody starts to sign up and, and practice all these challenges. Uh, and it will always be free for developers. We'll never want to charge developers for them to come and practice and hone their skills uh, so that they can understand where they are. What does it take to get a job at uh, one of these companies? Vivek, also in regards to uh, competition, I'm sure you're aware uh, Google recently launched Byteboard which is a bit of a, a competitor. And I'm sure you're aware that, uh, you know, GitHub is now owned by Microsoft, which also has LinkedIn. Uh, talk about the competitive landscape from that perspective. Does Google keep you up at night or not so much? So um, does, does uh, Google keep me up at night? I mean, look, Google, Google is in every industry. So I, I don't think, uh, I mean, like they are, they're doing, they're doing from autonomous driving to, of course, like the search to phones to now in recruiting, now in jobs and all of those things. So um, I, 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 we've not seen much uh, come from Google um, in terms of like from a competitive, uh, from, from competitors and others. And, and it's also, it's also not straightforward for, uh, for any company for that matter to come and get the level of depth that we have in terms of understanding what skills do companies need, uh, what kind of assessments can you actually build, and what do developers need. The second part about it is um, kind of developer trust. Uh, so ultimately, developers, and when we, we care about this a lot, we have a core metric called developer love, uh, which we call as DLI, developer love index, which we care, which we measure super rigorously, like after every assessment, every challenge, what comments do developers give, what's the rating that they give, what's the score that they have. I go, I literally go through every every feedback that a developer gives. So actually, that's what keeps me up at night, uh, not Google, and making sure that we are constantly improving. So I, I think there's like a developer trust that we've built, which is which is going to take like years for you to like go ahead and build that, uh, which Google doesn't have, which GitHub has, by the way. So I don't think, um, I mean, like, I view that as a positive, which is, hey, if Google is coming, uh, that's good. I mean, they're, they're coming because they believe that it's, there's a big market opportunity. I mean, if, if Google's Byteboard can only generate, I don't know, 10 million or 100 million, that's kind of like peanuts for Google. Like they would probably invest their money and time in, in some other projects. They assume that it's a big industry. Okay, great. Game on. Let's, uh, let's make it happen. Except that don't just screw around with our SEO results uh, <laughs> when, when we try to do it. Uh, so as long as they don't do it, uh, good with that. Um, on GitHub, yeah, it's very, very interesting. I know, I know Nat Friedman, uh, the, the CEO of GitHub, I've met him a couple of times. Fantastic guy, great, great person. We're trying to see if, if there are like partnerships that we can actually work with, uh, work with on GitHub. But I think the strength of GitHub, or at least if you look at the things that they're actually launching, it's more on developer productivity, developer workflows. How do you make the developers, how do you, how do you help developers to work efficiently, productively versus helping them more on recruiting? It's, uh, it's very tangential. So I think I see potential for partnerships. Um, I don't uh, I don't think they're like a real competitor. That's what I would say. Basically, I'm just saying we're the best. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and please Google, don't fuck with our search engine results. Thank you. Uh, um, okay. 
So we talk about competition, uh, which, which, which is which is awesome, but also talking about partnerships. Are you partnering with any applicant tracking systems now so that when somebody is applying for that uh, software developer position that they don't have to just slap a resume into the system, they can go through a hacker rank test instead. Are you doing anything with applicant tracking systems? Yeah, absolutely. We're partnering with every ATS except for Google Hire. Uh, so don't ask me why. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> He's got jokes. He has jokes. So if you think about the stack, um, um, we have on the sort of smaller end, uh, when I say smaller end, like you know, smaller size companies, you have Greenhouse, Lever, um, which we which we have very very strong partnerships mm-hmm. with. Um, I don't know if, they, if if you interviewed Sarah, who's the CEO of Lever, and um, and Daniel from Greenhouse, they're just like great folks to to talk to. Uh, except that don't have both of them in the same podcast. They're competitors, <laughs> uh, um, but. Uh, so no, I think we partner with them, and then like as you go a little upstream, you have smart recruiters, uh, Jobvite, uh, which we also partner very very closely with, um, and then as you go further upstream, you have iSense, Workday, Brassring, Teleo. Uh, so we actually partner all all the ATS systems that I just mentioned. We we work with them. Uh, this very strong interoperability two way. Uh, where you can send an invitation to a candidate uh, through the applicant tracking system. And once the candidate completes the challenge, the reports and the scores fall back into the tracking system um, so that it's, it's just very, very clean. Uh, yeah, we, we, we have pretty strong partnership. And it's, and it's essential if you want to get into the recruiting workflow. Last year, you guys raised uh, $30 million. It was a Series C. Uh, it looks like you raised around close to $60 million total. Um, what are you guys doing with the money? And when are you going public? Yeah, the first thing is uh, is the thirty people that I've hired in my PR. Sorry, thirty one <laughs> that I've hired in the PR team. Yeah. I need to pay them. You know, they're very expensive, as you probably know. Uh, so, so that is where like most of the money is going. Uh, public, I'm thinking just anytime tomorrow or day after. I mean, like you know, we're just like trying to figure out what's the right time to go public. <laughs> um, so, sometime tomorrow. I need the joke drum for this cat. Uh, look, I don't think we have. Uh, I think there's a long way to go for us uh, to get to like to figure out if. Uh, you know, when we can go public and others. But my goal is to build a large independent company because the market opportunity is big. And in general, like there's always going to be more and more problems that you can solve in recruiting. By the way, that's the most exciting thing about building this company that I've seen. I mean, there are lots of exciting things, but like one of the most exciting things is um, unlike kind of consumer type companies, uh, for example, if you are trying to build, I don't know, a food delivery company in Mountain View or San Jose or whatever, um, the, if, if one person in Mountain View or, or in a particular city has the problem, it's not necessary that everybody in Mountain View will have the problem. Uh, but when you're trying to build like this enterprise company, if a financial services uh, industry company has a problem, you can pretty much assume that every company in Wall Street will have that problem. So you actually know exactly, you can measure like what kind of problem, who has this problem, who do you actually go and talk to, uh, who will actually be able to give you a solution to the problem. And once you get into the company, Company, you can actually see, oh wow, there are like so many other problems that we can go and solve in this uh, solve this organization. So, so in theory, just like uh, sort of managing, hiring people, upskilling them, making sure your employment brand is good, and uh, making sure you're like constantly getting better, it's just like a forever problem. So once you have like a sort of a wedge inside a company, uh, you can just like, keep going on. So that's my goal to build like a very large independent company because it's just like big opportunity here. All right, Vivek, we'll let you out on this. Uh, curious, you're, you said branding earlier and I know a lot of companies, you know, feel like a, a, a ping pong table and a, a coffee machine, machine are enough to attract 
top talent in tech. But what what things are you seeing in terms of what uh, employees want from an employer? And particularly, what are your thoughts on uh, Gen Z, the up and coming generation? Yeah, uh, you know, Gen Z is coming. You know, it's like the whatever the meme of winter is coming kind of a thing. <laughs> uh, like if you were, uh, <laughs> if, if you thought yeah. uh, millennials were hard, I'm, I'm a millennial, so I think I can make fun of myself. So you know, millennials are hard to manage. I think the big change, and we actually did a research report on this. It's actually on our website, uh, research.hackerank.com. Uh, this is my plug, by the way, to, to, to our blog post. Uh, and uh, one of the most interesting things that, that changed was uh, they care about the type of projects that they're going to work on and their professional growth more than anything else. Um, so we are, we, we sort of like are helping companies craft a message and story. Hey, just don't do these canned job descriptions that you always have, which you copy from one company to another. We just say, oh, I, you, I need like three plus years of experience. You need to be proficient in ABC. Talk to them about the kind of challenges that, that this person will solve once he or she comes and joins the company. And that is a high order bit to solve um, versus just canned job descriptions. So that's like one big thing. The other part of it was... Um, um, in, in terms of how much uh, they value um, the compensation, um, uh, sort of the compensation and perks, which is kind of like what you were alluding to in terms of ping pong tables and others, is actually less compared to the previous generation, uh, well, less or equal, like on, on par, uh, which was surprising. You would have expected, hey, people would just want like, more and more money. No, they want like more professional growth and, um, and just interesting problems to solve. Those crazy kids. Well, Vivek. We appreciate your time today. For, Thanks for stopping by. For, for those listeners who want to learn more about you and or Hacker Rank, where do you send them? Uh, HackerRank.com. Our Twitter is Twitter uh, at HackerRank. And my Twitter is uh, rvivek. Uh, and I'm not making fun of you. It's really rvivek. Uh, that's, the, that's the handle that I got. Um, and yeah, so feel free to email me. Uh, contact us. I'm also Vivek at HackerRank, so feel free to send me a note. Excellent. You're totally making fun of me. And we out. We out. Hi, I'm Emma. Thanks for listening to my dad, the Chad, and his buddy Cheese. This has been the Chad and Cheese podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Be sure to check out our sponsors because their money goes to my college fund. For more, visit chadcheese.com. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.